Welcome to the Avanti Woman Podcast. With each episode, each conversation, we aim to empower, connect, and build women to move forward, feel confident, and thrive in healthcare, finance, entrepreneurship, and philanthropy. We're glad you're here. Good morning, everyone. I'm Nairi, your host with the Avanti Woman Podcast. And I'm very excited to be here today with three phenomenal women, healthcare executives, Hannah, Mindy, and Gabrielle, to talk about and discuss a topic that's created a huge buzz out there, and it's on the front line of almost every national paper. The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which was signed into law by President Biden on August 16th, and includes a broad package of health, tax, and climate change provisions. Barely out of a two-year pandemic, and we are hit by inflation, high prices almost on everything, gas and food come to mind for me. I'm sure a lot of you guys will agree with that. And undoubtedly, we are headed into a recession. Actually, we probably might be in it already, some say. Mm -hmm. And some experts even foresee a depression. I sure hope they are wrong. So everyone's socioeconomic livelihood is at stake, but one predominant group that is most vulnerable are the seniors, the Medicare beneficiaries of this country, as most of them live on a fixed income and many of them live with multiple chronic conditions. Just to give you an idea, we're talking about 58 million Medicare beneficiaries in the United States today, and by 2030, this number will increase to 90 million. Well, today we're going to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act and how it will impact Medicare beneficiaries, specifically by helping them with their drug prices, which is one of the biggest costs in healthcare for this uh, patient group. And um, but then again, the big question is, is it enough? Well, I this is why I have these beautiful three experts with me, healthcare executives. So ladies, why don't we go ahead and have each one of you introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your background and what you do in healthcare. Mindy, let's start with you. Sure. Good morning. This is really a pleasure and an honor to be with such cool ladies on a lovely Saturday morning in Southern California. Um, I'm Mindy. Uh, I've been involved in senior services and healthcare for Oh, over 35 years. It all started in high school when I was volunteering in a local senior center and then volunteered in an adult daycare program, which led me to a master's degree in gerontology. So for most of my career, I've been involved, um, you know, serving older adults and developing programs. I've been uh, my professionally working in many different environments, both the nonprofit sector, the for-profit sector, hospitals, hospital systems, senior centers, um, health plans for over 20 years. And the last 10 years, I've been with uh, Regal Medical Group and I'm uh, in their marketing and I oversee their marketing and health education program. And I've been uh, very fortunate to be able to uh, serve a, a large membership in Southern California, serving uh, our footprint is large five counties. So very involved in both developing programs and services, but also being out there, you know, on the front lines um, with all the adults. 
and and I'm I'm I am a sandwich generation person. <laughs> I am a caregiver uh, for my my parents as as well as adult yeah. children. So I am living it. Wow! Welcome, Mindy. That is amazing. Pleasure to have you, Hannah. Hi, um, it's so nice to be back. Thank you for having me again, Nairi. I'm Hannah Eicher. Um, I have been in healthcare for 40 years. It's quite unbelievable, actually. But I thought you um, were 30. Me too. I'm huh. 29. <laughs> but um, I spent most of my career with health plans in a commercial large group. So I came into the senior population quite late when I was with Regal Medical Group with Mindy. Um, and um, I finally started to understand what um, seniors, the Medicare population is facing. Um, so, you know, baptism by fire, kind of, as, as at that time, my parents became Medicare um, age eligible and got quite ill. <clears throat> so I became a caregiver at that same time. And also my younger sister collapsed with a massive stroke, um, very young, 46 years old. So uh, you know, I'm officially a court um, appointed guardian for my younger sister who is now on Medicare. So, um, you know, very much aware of what people are going through. And I am now with one of the largest um, Medicare agencies in the country, Applied General Agency. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've had the lucky, but through just lucky set of um, events, the privilege of working um, with all the arms of the industry that do touch um, not only uh, people who access healthcare or need to access healthcare, but um, you know everyone who is now in need of um, getting Medicare benefits and people who try and provide them and simplify that process. So I'm very happy to be on this podcast with you, Nairi, and thank you for organizing it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. It's it's a pleasure to have you on. And finally, our beautiful Gabrielle Rascon. Oh, thank you, Nairi. And good morning to everyone today. It's such a pleasure to be here and to be able to talk more about what uh, is really impacting not only the seniors that we see day to day, but really a nationwide crisis and impact. Uh, my name is Gabrielle Rascon. I come from a medical group background where not only am I involved hands-on with the marketing components, the engagement, but I also analyze the trends within our office, what we're seeing medically, what we're seeing on the clinical side, how it relates to the back end with administrative flows and processing, and then more importantly, how we relate education back to our senior patient population to make sure that the focus of what we're seeing on trends and what we're seeing in analytics relates back to our seniors so that they can have something to understand and move forward with on making sure they're prepared for day-to-day -day changes or even seasonal changes. Mm -hmm. So thank you yeah. so much for having me today. This has been an honor and such a gift to be among such uh, intelligent and powerful women. <laughs> well, thank you, um, Gabrielle. Great to have you on. And I'm truly honored to be amongst your presence, ladies. You're three phenomenal women who are movers and shakers in the healthcare industry. And I, I say that, you know, with a humble heart. I've seen your work and I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. So um, let's begin with some of the most significant changes happening in Medicare and how it's affecting um, the beneficiaries. But before Jumping into that, just a small disc disclaimer, all of the women who are listening in, 
Many of you guys will say, well, I'm 20 years old, I'm 30 years old, why do I need to know about Medicare? Just to remind you guys, we know with, with our last uh, episode with Hana that we did, we did emphasize that researchers call us the chief medical officers of the household. So we are the decision makers. We are the ones helping our parents, our grandparents, our relatives, and ourselves if we are in that age group. And um, ultimately, everyone's going to come to us for help. So this is very important for all of you ladies out there tuning in to really understand. So the biggest changes affecting Medicare, one of the things I'd like to start with is something that all four of us have seen this past year, and that was the crazy Medicare Part B premium increases that came on in January 2022, and we heard all of our um, members, patients, like there was this huge buzz. So let's talk about that. What did you guys see, and how did that affect your members? What was the feedback? Well, I know that people were very angry <laughs> about mm -hmm. it, you know, because, you know, quite frankly, they were unprepared. Um, once the information started coming out about the reasons behind it, I think there was, you know, which is really around the medications and, you know, Alzheimer's, the new Alzheimer's drug that came out. You know, I think there was some people who who got it and who understood, the, you know, the mechanics behind it. But in general, people were very, very annoyed, um, yeah. really, really angry about it. And, and we heard from them. Yeah, and, and, and that was one of the biggest you know, hikes in prices. We had, what, $148.50, and we had about a $22 increase just overnight. So we're talking about a population that's living on a fixed income, and that's every month. That's, that's mm -hmm. huge. And yeah. it was because of the, how did we call that drug at a, Adalhelm, Adahelm, Adahelm. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the um, Alzheimer's drug. Mm -hmm. But you know, it, it's because of the same drug that next year the prices are decreasing, right? So they, they pretty much saw that really it didn't make sense. So the prices are decreasing back down to $164.90 from $170.10. So, um, Hannah, Gabby, any what was the feedback for you guys in your respective careers? Well, the, if I can go, Gabby, and then please chime in. You know, in California, we are lucky because we have many health plans who actually offer to cover the, the uh, Plan B premium. So what we saw happen last year is one of our health plans just swept the market. Um, mm. And the worry was for our agents that um, it is not sustainable. So not only did they absorb the plan B um, premium, they offered incredibly rich benefits. <laughs> so they grew by like a mushroom. Um, no one else pretty much grew. You know, everyone mm. else just wiped their nose. Um, and um, now this year, it looks like um, they are not going to be able to sustain that, that uh, not only those benefits, but to keep that membership. So they, it kind of really destabilized the market um, and created a lot of extra work for, for everybody. Um, so, you know, it's unwise to, to make those kinds of decisions and, um, um, 
And on the flip side, also what we now know, um, and thank you, Mindy, for sending me that deft study, is that um, even though the health plans add uh, really rich benefits, you know, vision, dental, transportation, over-the-counter benefits, um, exterminator, you know, just wow. anything they can think of to really help seniors with um, um, costs, you know, with costs of living. Um, the seniors just simply, it's too complicated for them to figure out how to then tap into those additional benefits. So they feel like they were kind of sold a bag of goods. And we as an industry um, don't have a good mechanism to reach them and help them assist because, you know, they have to call the health plan for this and the medical group for that. And it just gets too overwhelming um, and they end up not using it. Mm -hmm. And it goes to waste. And so they feel like, you know, they got something for, you know, free, but it didn't work for them. So it, it, it's a miss. It's a miss. Gabby? Glad, you know, I, I think one of the biggest takeaways from this time frame and the shift in price that we've seen thus far on the clinic side is we have a lot of senior members and their caregivers. I, I think a lot of times we forget that, you know, a, a senior uh, in, in analytics or just thinking about uh, a senior in one capacity is not a single person. There's a family unit behind them. There's a team behind them. There's a caregiver typically. There's adult children uh, taking care of their parents. There's siblings, there's loved ones, there's extended family. So the biggest response I saw was actually a huge demand in inbound calls. Uh, coming into the clinic, wanting to understand more, seeking information, seeking education on how they can reduce the impact, how they can adjust budgets to make this more sustainable, understanding where this price hike came from. Um, you know, I, I do want to elaborate on that a little bit further in that most of the calls that we received had clarified that they did not understand where this price hike came from. And there was even anger, both anger and fear that something had occurred and their coverage had changed, that there had been a health plan switch or that their benefits had changed and that had occurred without their consent. And we had to come back and explain this process. And I think this is actually a big breakthrough within yeah. the industry to clarify, no, you know, no, no health plan change had occurred. Your, your benefits are currently the same as what you had enrolled into originally, but this is actually a change occurring at the federal level. This is a Medicare Part B premium change. And that opens up, I think, the floodgates on Medicare education and what Medicare is really about, because you also have more mature recipients of Medicare benefits who are unaware of the process, unaware of what Medicare entails, what the parts are, the ABCs and Ds, and how that really impacts their day to day. So yeah. to put it simply, there was a lot of emotion. There was a huge demand and call volume to the office, but more importantly, and I'll segue to you, Nairi, there was a huge demand for education from a dedicated broker who could clarify that knowledge. So I would love to hear more about your role in this process, because I know people were looking to, uh, to you and yes. to other representatives in the industry who could clarify this change. That's very true. I think one of, again, I'm sure all um, three of you guys will agree education and knowledge is what really is um, lacking in this field. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and the the role of the independent insurance broker is huge. And I think it's becoming even more, you know, uh, in demand. And um, I I saw that firsthand. A lot of my clients, and for those of you guys who don't, who don't know my uh, professional background, what I do outside of the Avanti Woman is actually I'm an independent um, Medicare insurance broker, insurance insurance agent. I do have an agency, and uh, but I've been doing this for ten years, and I love servicing our clients and um, educating them firsthand. A lot of them did call saying, just like you said, Gabby, what happened? Did did my my benefits changed all of a sudden? What is this expense? And it was our responsibility to educate them just like you guys did, that this is coming from the federal level and that we can look into their benefits and we can see what we can do to help them actually um, you know, enroll in something that would really offset that. Just like you said, Hannah, there were some plans that gave back to Medicare Part B premiums. However, we have to be very careful with that because some of them give back and all the other benefits are fine, but others give back and then you're actually having a gap somewhere else in their benefit, such as, you know, more money for hospitalizations or whatnot. But at the end of the day, from from what I see, is one of the biggest, biggest areas of cost for these Medicare beneficiaries is prescription drugs. Do you ladies agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my mom alone, I don't know if I ever mentioned it, but I have an Excel spreadsheet for both mom and Carla because they are on so many medications. Yeah. So, you know, to, to the cost of their meds every month is it's outrageous. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. So th- th- this is probably the best time where we can focus on the Inflation Reduction Act and what it's going to do to Medicare beneficiaries and for their Part D prescription drugs. Um, and then we can go and, and, and talk about, expand and talk about and see what other resources do you ladies have or foresee for these you know um, beneficiaries to tap into? Because let's see, is this enough for them? what uh, the law has in place. So one of the things, again, um, with the Inflation Reduction Act is this is for the first time in Medicare's history, this is happening. And I think we really need this. I've seen over the years, I've seen Medicare beneficiaries crying that they cannot afford their insulin prices when they enter that gap. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, some of them calling me years ago, this is 2015, 2016, saying, how can I afford $500 for one month? I might as well just die from diabetes. I mean, this is really sad to hear such stories. So what is this law going to do? The first thing it's going to do, the amount of money beneficiaries and drug plans will have to pay for their prescriptions will finally be capped. That's one of the elements. The second thing it's going to do is there will be, and starting 2023, there will be a limit on out-of-pocket payments for insulin. Yay. I, I really think that, that it's is about time. It's oh. about time. That will be yes. $35, okay? And for those people who are on a standalone prescription drug plan, which has a deductible, the deductible cannot apply towards this. So they cannot charge 
these beneficiaries a deductible. So that is huge. Finally, the third, which is big, is a lot of vital vaccines will be free. And one of the things is examples is shingles. Yeah. You know, I, I've been reading so much about this. There's so many uh, seniors that have actually commented saying, every year I skip my shingles vaccine because I can't afford it. And I'm so excited I can get it next year. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are the three strong elements that are coming into with this law. In 2024, there'll be no more out-of-pocket costs in the catastrophic phase. For those of you who don't know, when we get to the catastrophic stage of prescription drug plans, beneficiaries have to pay 5%. And I just had actually, I was helping one of my clients. He has cancer. He has to go through this interferon treatment, and he's already in the catastrophic phase. His medication costs $21,000. And 5% is over $1,000 a month. He was crying. So I had to help him get actually pharmaceutical assistance. So that is going to be eliminated Mm -hmm. in 2024, which is huge. And Mm -hmm. finally, starting 2025, ladies, the maximum out-of-pocket will be capped at $2,000 for all Medicare beneficiaries. So this is is really, really big when it comes to prescription drug prices. But... Here's my question to you. Is this enough? And if not, what suggestions do you have? What other resources can they tap into? It's hard to say, Nairi. I mean, is it enough compared to what? Compared to what's available in Europe? Is it enough compared to what's available in Canada? You know, is it enough? no, it's of course it's not enough, um, but it's a big step forward, right? It can be do better as a as a country, yes, yes, but um, it is it is much better than what it was, and we just have to keep um, pounding at it and improving it because um, this is not a population that um, it's a vulnerable population that can least afford. Um, increases or costs that that are not predictable, and we need to figure out how to really protect them. You know, mm-hmm. the you know, in a, in our country, if I can jump in, sure. Um, and unfortunately, most older adults live with chronic disease. Yeah. And how do you manage chronic disease? Usually by taking some medication. And I think the you know the average number of meds over the counter, uh, not over the counter prescriptions is you know maybe five or six. Um, and as we grow older, the incidence of chronic disease and more serious chronic disease increases. Well, the population is living longer with chronic disease, so they need more medication, mm-hmm. you know, to have a quality of life. Mm-hmm. So my response is, no, we are not doing enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, th- there are there are programs out there. But again, it goes back to the issue that we, we mentioned before is how do you access? People don't mm-hmm. know about them. That's you know? very true, Mindy. So, you know, from a medical group perspective, what kind of services do you guys have to offer these members when, um, you know, they can't afford their medications, even though they have, you know, some of these things are going to lower the cost. But are there any programs that medical groups offer their members to help them with, with cost? Lyrie, I think the list is quite extensive. I think the medical group 
seen senior beneficiaries of Medicare come in daily. Um, it's our responsibility now to not only have different programs available, and, and just to name a few, you know, we'll partner with a broker like yourself to uh, provide an education and, for, and information on LIS, low income subsidy, to offset some of those costs on Medicare. We offer samples of prescription medications to help, again, if someone does uh, fall into that donut hole and is now in catastrophic coverage and they're taking brand name tier one, tier two drugs, we offer samples of those as well. So I think a forgotten component or something that may not be considered in managed care is that the HMO or the Health Maintenance Organization of Managed Care is responsible for preventing illness. And, and making sure that we keep our patients or members as healthy as possible. The goal is having a provider and a care team that is not only champion, championing and advancing primary care, but keeping folks who are with chronic conditions as healthy as possible and on top of their treatment. So what does that entail? That entails partnering with programs like GoodRx to keep prescription costs down. That entails having a case manager who's available to help coordinate specialty care appointments and prescription drugs and any kind of ancillary services to ensure that care is being provided for. And then also, and as of late, this is something relatively new that I am seeing in the industry that is spreading quite quickly, is having a social worker that's on site and a staff member of the medical group so that they can help coordinate uh, consistent housing and food accessibility. I mean, uh, again, my emphasis and focus is the Northern Los Angeles market. However, I can't say with complete certainty that what we're doing is even going to be close to enough or if we'll ever get there because we still see seniors experiencing unreliable housing and inconsistency in food. And that's unacceptable. That's completely unacceptable. More needs to be done. There needs to be more education and awareness on programs because I know that there are programs out there that can help not only offset some of these costs, but that can also help provide stability in day-to-day -day needs like housing, food, transportation. And then that's not even getting into the role of the health plan and brokers who can help provide even more benefits and education. That's very true. And Gabby, you tapped on a very important point, and that is um, coordination of care, which is what these Medicare Advantage plans are providing the members in collaboration with medical groups, the, the PCP, the broker, the health plan. So um, ladies, anyone wants to comment on that about the strength of the coordination of care and how important that is versus someone actually seeking care on their own fee-for-service. Can I just jump in and, yeah. and reference that add-on? One of the major trends in, in healthcare in both hospital um, and, and uh, working with providers and doctors is the now the, the much broader influence and engagement of pharmacists mm -hmm. on the team. Mm -hmm. um, we have um, a whole herd of clinical pharmacists and it is their responsibility to work with members. And remember, at the end of the day, when you have a, a doctor and you have a pharmacist when it comes to medication, it is the pharmacist who is the expert. Right. You know, in, in this. 
Um, so we've recognized that, you know, the pharmacist has a really critical role in the coordination and care and almost acting as a liaison between um, the individual and the doctor in many ways. And, you know, they, they will review medications. They will talk with members and, and their families and, and say, oh, we, we can't afford it. What are our options, right? Can we try this? Can we do a mm -hmm. step down or a step up? to make it more, um, you know, much better. Um, in, in our group, um, we actually have a, a pharmacy agreement where they work side by side. Um, the physician will refer members to the pharmacist directly. And then it really becomes, um, you know, a very, very one-on-one, face-to-face, ongoing relationship. And then as Gabby mentioned, then they bring in as part of the overall assessment, the social worker, you know, because if they can't afford the medication, what else is going on there? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, we've had situations, um, you know, it, it started out where someone, you know, was having, you know, an issue paying for their insulin. Well, we found out and, and their diabetes was uncontrolled. Well, we find out they're living in a car and they're living off of McDonald's every day. Wow. Yeah. Right. So the pharmacist and one of our member engagement team, we met them at the car. And these wow. kind of programs, which goes to what we call social determinants of health, which is taking a very holistic view, you know, of our older adults and really recognizing that, you know, it, it's 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 the whole person you have to look at. There's many more things, you know, there's reasons behind why they can't afford it. So just want to put out there that the influence and the engagement of pharmacists, you know, has become much more, um, they're much more influential right now and um, really taking on a very critical role. Yeah. But Mary, if I may um, also interject something, you, you know uh, how hard we all try to reach our members, to get them to attend either webinars or in-person meetings to get informed about all the services and assistance that we all collectively provide. The health plans try, the medical groups try, the brokers try. We all try to, to get people to comprehend what is available to them, um, what services are available, what assistance is available, who to call for what. I mean, you know, it's a phenomenal amount of outreach and effort. And People don't come. I, you know, part of it, of course, is COVID, right? Yes. Um, but and and another part of it is that we sent everything out in English. I mean, look at this call. You know, so your parents are more comfortable in Armenian. You know, Gabi, I'm sure yours are in in Spanish. Mine would have been in Czech. Yours, Mindy, are in English. Everything goes out in English. You know, do they read it? No. You know, mm -hmm. they give it to us, the kids, to deal with. And, and, you know, if we have time, we will look at it and hopefully send them or we go with them or, you know, but, and it's usually not scheduled around our time when we are available because we are working and we have kids and we are, so it's a hit and miss uh, on do they come and get partnered with the people within the medical groups or the health plan who can actually provide the assistance that is needed on an ongoing basis. And then, you know, it's not until it's at a crisis level when they actually find the people who can provide help. Yeah. And that's the failure of what is in place right now. Very seldom do we get them 
at the ahead of time to really start managing them and providing help to avoid the crisis. You know, it's when they are in the hospital, <laughs> in the bed, and the case manager comes and finds out where do they live in the car? You know, how do we reach them? You know, bring the social worker, the pharmacist, the, the whole team to get them the assistance that they need and needed all along to get them situated and uh, and into a better situation and taken care of on an ongoing basis. That's definitely a big uh, challenge, you know, to get to these yeah. members. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, especially with COVID, everything overnight became digital, telephonic, and actually now from what we're seeing, it's, it's having the opposite effect where every senior ignores their telephone because they're inundated by these calls. So they have this like anxiety and mistrust yeah, of, you know, what's to happen. So, yeah. so I think it's a challenge to really figure out how to, how to have that, um, that effect on them to really understand that they need, you know, there's a lot of help out there. Honestly, it takes a village to really care for someone. And I think when it comes to that managed care is, is the way to go because you are having that coordination of care between the primary care physician, the health plan, the medical group, um, ancillary services. And just like Gabby said earlier, you know, managed care is really focusing on prevention and keeping the, the patient out of the emergency room, keeping mm -hmm. the patient healthy. But how do we convey that message to them? Mm -hmm. I think one of the, the areas to really focus on is the primary care physician. I mean, at the end of the day, right, that's where they're having face-to-face -face contact. And that's the one entity they trust. What do you guys think? I mean, we're not going to resolve this today. Trust me, this is a huge... <laughs> This is a huge problem issue that we have to figure out as as an industry. But I, I wish we could rely on our primary care physicians to do just that. Unfortunately, the way our care delivery model is set up, um, you know, if if we get 20 minutes with our provider, you know, for you know something routine or whatever, we're very lucky. Um, I would suggest extending that care model. And I work very, very closely with the medical assistants, the receptionists who are picking up the phone because they're the front line. Um, so this goes back to it really does take a village. And um, we spent a lot of time working with the support team to, to look for things, to identify those signs and those cues, whether it's in the medical record or in that five minutes where they go into the office, it, they go into the treatment room before the doctor gets there and they're taking blood. And, and we've worked with them on motivational interviewing techniques mm -hmm. on how to identify and, and listen for things that are going on with that person, because frankly, these doctors are really rushed. And, you know, we all know there was a, there was a shortage of doctors these days. So it's a very rushed thing. So um, it's it's the doctor, it's the whole office staff that needs to be engaged. Yeah. Then, of course, as a medical group, um, we have additional responsibility from more of a population health standpoint to identify people, right? We don't need to rely on the doctors because we have, I'm sure Gabby knows, all this great data. So we look for people who are having trouble managing their diabetes, you know, who have COPD and, and all of those. And then at the medical group level, 
then we reach out our pharmacists, our health educators as, as a team. So it is that village that we were all talking about a, a while ago. It just, healthcare these days is just not in a doctor office. Mm-hmm. It's everything else. And again, that's why managed care works yes. because there's this broad range of services. Yes, true. And so, and so if we wanted to give some references to our audience to uh, reach out to for help, again, we talked bit about the Inflation Reduction Act. We talked about, you know, there's going to be some significant changes coming to prescription drugs, which is, which is great. I think it's an amazing start. But again, where do they reach out to to get support? So um, I could start off by saying, you know, if if you, your mom, your dad, um, whoever their primary care physician is, see who is your medical group. Today we're talking about, you know, we have Mindy with Regal Lakeside Medical Group, one of actually the movers and shakers in Los Angeles County. And um, they have amazing resources. And so um, there's multiple medical groups and a lot of, you know, seniors, what I see and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like we, I'm always educating them on the difference of the health plan that they have and the medical group. They always mix it together. They come to me and they say, my insurance is regal. Well, that's not your insurance. Your medical group is regal. Your insurance is, let's say Humana, for example, right? So, so there's also that misconception. But again, um, I'll open this to you, ladies, and we're coming to our end. So let's let's just give some um, resources where they can tap into. You know, um, everyone should have received their health plan ID card, and then medical groups send out the medical group ID card. So that's a good resource to start with right? Mm -hmm. To identify what benefits you have and where to call for help regarding your very specific benefits. The counties and cities offer a ton of additional benefits, Meals on Wheels, um, Burbank offers free transportation. Just as an example, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of um, caregiver support um, services that are offered. um, And if you go online and Google, you know, caregiver resources, it will, it will pop up for you. So um, there, there is help available and it, it just depends on what is it that you are looking for, but the county and the cities try very hard to provide additional resources to what the health plans and the medical groups offer. Fabulous. You know, there's, there's also um, at a very local level, you know, the area agencies on aging and the local senior multi-purpose centers, which are different than just a senior center, they all have what they call desks. There is someone from HICAP, which is the health insurance advisory. Um, they're very, very good, as well as you know other types of, um, they, they might have someone on a food desk to provide information about food resources. Um, they may have someone also about um, assistance with drugs and all that. A couple of programs that that off the top of my head that are also a place to start. The Elder Care Locator, Google it online. It, mm-hmm. it will identify, uh, you put in your, your zip code. I think it's a good place for caregivers to even start. The one I also like is um, from the National Council on Aging, NCOA. 
benefitscheck.org. And it's, again, you put in your, your zip code and it brings up all of the benefits, federal, state, and some even local that are available to you. And then they even have a benefits assistance counselor that you can chat with or they will call you back. And I find them to be, you know, also very, very useful. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Beautiful. Gabby, any feedback from you? I would just make sure that folks are aware of some of the terminology and that it's very important. I think when you're speaking to someone that's always immersed in healthcare and healthcare mm -hmm. language, that if you can level with them and kind of get to the grasp of some of this verbiage, you'll find that you're going to make such a strong way in accomplishing the information you're seeking and your goals. So I'll give you an example. And I think in, you know, every day, day to day, if you have a complaint or if you have a question, you're going to go to a help desk or you're going to go talk to customer service. Now, funny enough, I think we'll understand what you mean if you say you want to speak to someone in customer service. But here's a deeper example of how that would translate. You could say, I want to speak to a care advocate. I want to speak to member services. I want to speak to a CMA. And this is the result of what you'll get by saying those words. If you say, I want to speak to a CMA, a certified medical assistant, they can go into your chart. They can look into all the questions you may have regarding your care, and they can answer questions may require the support of your doctor or provider, but they'll be able to get you in the right path if you have questions on your treatment. If you say, I want to speak to a care advocate, they can answer generic questions relating to your care, your health coverage, anything relating to your benefits. They're a guide that can help listen to you, especially if you have a complaint, concern, or generic question. And last but not least, member services. I can't speak to all healthcare entities, but member services uh, for the medical group that I'm with now is our champion in addressing all different types of questions from every angle. This could be something like claims, uh, authorization status, treatment plan, checking back into the chart, or I'll give you a, an even simpler example. If someone just received a diagnosis, um, they can go ahead and not only print out health education for you, they can email it to you through your patient portal. So there's a ton of resources available, even again, uh, I could go on and on and on, but it's important that you at least take the time from today to understand key words like medical group. Uh, I think Mindy and Hannah brought up some very key points here on addressing the role of the medical group and how they can really support and enhance your healthcare and the quality of care that you're receiving. So um, thank you, Nairi, for making sure that we put out some resources today. I think I, I'm underestimating, I think, just how impactful that will be to our audiences, because more and more I'm seeing adult children involved uh, with their parents' care. Yes. And, and that goes a long way in making sure younger people understand the role of Medicare, the role of medical groups. And I think the only other detail I'll add is um, I'm seeing a trend now as well where people are so accustomed to their employer provided health insurance coverage and the plans that are available to them that they don't even know what the HMO is, their role, or how an HMO relates to a medical group, what the relationship is to that. And I, to that, my response is, I can't thank uh, you enough 
and for those within your agency enough for really taking the time to break that down in educational seminars. And for those who aren't aware, Nairi uh, and her role as an agency owner takes the time to educate seniors one-on-one as well in group settings on health seminars on how Medicare works, the role of the medical group, how you can access cost savings on key things like prescription drugs. She has the relationships with the medical group so she can connect you to these care managers. It's quite impactful and very inspiring, Nairi. Thank you for all that you do. Well, thank you, Gabby. And I think you brought up something very interesting. Maybe we should have an episode specifically on that, mm-hmm. you know, yes, um, educating yeah. our listeners on what is Medicare, mm-hmm. what is a medical group, what is a health plan, and how they are all interrelated mm-hmm. so that they can have a very basic and clear understanding how the skeletal system works before we dive into the details. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, ladies, I think um, I I can't thank you enough for the wealth of information you brought to us today. And um, again, to those of us listening in, we talked about the Inflation Reduction Act. We um, are excited that there will be changes coming in as soon as 2023 to your prescription drugs, specifically starting with insulin and vaccines. And please um, use our um, contact information, send us an email, send us a DM, and let us know if you have any questions. We'd love to hear your questions and maybe based on your questions, tailor some new episodes to come on this issue. And also, um, you know, we will be having resources actually on our YouTube channel, as well as the podcast, the resources that Mindy, Hannah, and Gabrielle talked about, so you have a better way to access them. With that said, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to follow us on all podcast streaming channels, as well as YouTube, and all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in and have a beautiful blessed day. Thank you for joining us today. For more engagement, you can find us at the Avanti Woman on all social and media platforms. Follow us on Instagram, join our community group on Facebook to chat, subscribe to our YouTube for our latest videos. You can rate us five stars on Spotify and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for helping us reach even more Avanti women just like you.